Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 421 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today her nutrition. Her nutrition. Did you hear me? And how she's going to cook. And cook is not a four letter word. We're going to prove it today, absolutely, with my good friend and colleague, Amy Myrtle Miller. Hey, Amy. Hey, Pam. We've got a terrific show coming up. And I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Solaray Vitamins. Women, I know we all try, we do, to get in our nutrition every single day. We try to get all those five colors and antioxidants, and then our whole day goes to hell because we get overcommitted and can't get our stuff done. So just to make sure we've got your back. Solaray Vitamins is there for women. And make certain to check out the Multivite because this way we really have your back because heaven knows we really honestly try and not every single day is P for perfection. We also have, because we're talking about heart today, heart blends. These are herbal supports that really help your heart health and support everything that you're striving to do with your whole foods every single day. So run on over to solarayvitamins.com. And here's your first reminder, when we're done with this episode, to go to iTunes to rate and review the show because we love to hear from you. My team just sits around waiting for your feedback. They do, they do, they do. All right, it's time for her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. So we're going to be talking about cooking a la heart. Cooking a la heart. I just absolutely love that. Now that is the title of the cookbook that Amy has co-written. Amy herself, I've had the pleasure of knowing for a number of years. She's an award-winning dietitian. This is the other part I love. She's a farmer's daughter. Raise your hand if you know anybody who's a farmer's daughter. I just love that. She's a public speaker and president of Farmer's Daughter Consulting, an agriculture, food, and culinary communications firm founded in 2014. We're talking about a 25-year career. Phew! Amy, welcome aboard the Her Podcast. I am so happy to be back with you today to talk about cooking all the heart and all of the glorious ways we can provoke our cardiovascular wellness. So Amy, why did you write this book? Well, because I got a glorious invitation from Linda Hackfeld, my co-author. She is the godmother of cooking all the heart. She has been shepherding this book through now four editions since the mid-1980s when it was first published as part of an NIH, or National Institutes of Health, funded research project. Excellent. And you jumped on board to just run with it. It had to be amazingly fun for you because you're all things culinary. And so just going chapter by chapter, the introduction was written by a dear colleague of mine and obviously a wonderful friend of yours as well. And that is Dr. James Rippey. And he is amazing. I've actually 
done a chapter or two for him in the past for his textbook on lifestyle medicine. And James is a founder and director of the Rippey Lifestyle Institute. And this is the largest research organization in the world exploring how daily habits impact health. I just love this. Now, he wrote something at the end of his introduction that I thought was very compelling. This extraordinary book comes at an auspicious time. Even as the scientific links between nutrition and heart health have exploded, we still face the daunting challenge of motivating people to use this knowledge to lower their risk of heart disease and other chronic illnesses. Books like Cooking a la Heart will play a substantial role in this important mission. Ha! Huh, I love that. And the fact that he also makes a point that this is hard that change is hard, that we live in, for all intent and purposes, an obesogenic environment, one in which we have ultra-processed foods that are very tasty, very tempting, and it's hard, once you've gotten hooked on them, to turn things around. So what I found in your recipes were incredibly tasty, delicious food that I think would easily supervene over that junk out there, to say the least. So Amy, people say it's hard. What's your reaction when people say, oh, I've gotten used to ultra process, whatever. And what is your thought just based upon your professional and personal experience? Pam, I can empathize with that sentiment. I've had type 1 diabetes for 45 years the majority of my life, I have dealt with this chronic disease that continues to change, that poses daily challenges for my mental health and physical well-being. And I only have three things on my bucket list. One of them is to have a 50th wedding anniversary with my darling husband. And in order for me to live well and be a kind, decent wife, to have a marriage for 50 years... I need to pay attention to the things that are hard. I need to be committed to doing everything I can to promote my health, to control my blood sugars, to control my stress level, to get good quality sleep, to get daily activity, which contributes to sleep and good blood sugars. So I get it. And it's because I'm a striving, goal-oriented woman who is bound and determined to live into my late 80s <laughs> with the best quality life and the best possible marriage. I understand that. And I think that for anybody out there listening to this podcast, if you are struggling, find the one thing that you can do today that is motivating for you because you love the delicious flavor of fresh berries, because you like to go for a walk and listen to a podcast like the Her Podcast, because you enjoy grocery shopping without your kids or husband because it gives you a break from everybody needing you. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Find that one thing that you can Sign do. me up. No question about it. I'm so glad you said that. One of the reasons why I've always loved working with you, Amy, is because you're so damn real. We're not sitting here, me as a physician and you as a nutrition professional, pontificating and looking down and saying, this is the way it ought to be. It's more like, hey, you know, been there, done that, I got the scars and have learned all these life lessons. And now what we're doing is taking our collective wisdom and actually sharing it 
with everybody out there who wants to listen. Now, speaking of collective wisdom, in the beginning of this wonderful book, Cooking a la Heart, there are five principles to keep in mind as you read the book. I'd like to go through those five principles because I think they really speak to so much of what this book is about. So the first principle, there is no single dietary pattern best suited to every person, but there are traits common among eating patterns from around the world that predict better health outcomes, including greater consumption of fruits, vegetables, and other normally processed plant-based foods. I'm glad you actually started with this because it's a cluster out there on the internet. You, you know, you're a woman and you, you know, kind of do the Google thing and the search and you're like, all right, how do I eat? And then next thing you know, like a billion hits show up and they're all going in different directions. And all you want to do is just default right back to your ultra processed foods. So tell us what that first principle really means to you. It means that there are plant-based food cultures around the world that can lead to better health outcomes. You know, we've seen this with like the blue zones. You don't have to eat the perfect Mediterranean diet. You can eat a Southeast Asian diet. You can eat a Latin American diet. You can eat an African diet. And you can have good health outcomes. This is part of looking at equity in our food system, equity in our health care, to respect the cultures that have done great things for people over time. So even though we quote research from the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, and the MIND diet in the book, we did so because those are eating patterns that tend to have the most research behind them. But we respect that there are certain foods that are very important and eating patterns that are meaningful to people from all parts of the world. I got that when I read The Blue Zone, and I've actually looked at cross-cultures and their take on what nutrition actually looks like. Obviously, whole foods rule, needless to say. Cooking rules, however you want to call cooking in each culture, because you know there's plenty of raw diets out there too and all the rest of it. I just love the fact that you're open and flexible to so much of what's going on out there because, and not only that though, I think that there's some kind of a bias towards thinking that once you've chosen a specific way to eat, that's the way you're going to eat for 40 years. That certainly wasn't my case. I've kind of experimented. I've been all over the planet until I got into a real rhythm with something that really seems to resonate with me at my stage in life and my knowledge base. But you know something? As a clinical scientist, I'm wide open for the next great discovery, and I'm more than happy to continue to enhance and enrich. And I think that's what this book really speaks to. So kudos to you on that. Does that make sense, Amy? It absolutely makes sense. And I can't tell you how much I respect the fact that you're open to new research, new cultures, new foods, new ingredients. I mean, isn't that part of the joy of life? being open to new experiences that enrich our understanding, appreciation, you know, joy in our daily lives? Well, you know, I look down at my tummy every day and I go, hi guys, this is the, you know, trillions of friends with benefits is what I call my microbiome. And you know the microbiome with all of our little critters that help us digest the food, but also give us those nutrients through the intestinal, all the rest of it. So 
they love diversity, which is why, and you of all people should know this and live it, which you do, which is it's a seasonal diversity. And you've got that farmer's daughter thing going on. And you live in a marvelous state where you've got all kinds of great seasonal diversity. So what happens in October is different than January. And you get a chance to really check out the farmer's markets and find out what's literally cooking out there, or you're going to be cooking it anyway. I'm a real fan of diversity, of of feeding my little bugs down there optimally so that they're all happy. Let's move to the second principle. Healthful dietary patterns do not have to be low in total fat. The traditional Mediterranean eating pattern, perhaps the most studied, contains more than 40% calories from fat, of which most is unsaturated fats from plant-based sources like olive oil. Why did you make a big deal about that, this whole issue of fat? I think part of it is because I'm tired of the food shaming that we do to others or do to ourselves when we enjoy a higher fat item. For example, there's a local burger chain that serves tempura green beans as an optional side. And I always get them and people always criticize me. Oh my God, I can't believe a dietitian's eating those fried tempura green beans. It's fried in an oil that is low in saturated fats. It's crunchy. It's delicious. I'm getting another vegetable. It makes me happy. I do it maybe once every three months. Big deal. I love making homemade vinaigrettes and salad dressings. I use an abundant amount of extra virgin olive oil that is really high quality, fresh from California, and I celebrate that because that extra virgin olive oil has those beneficial phenols that do great things throughout our body. The flavor makes me happy. So I think this fear of fat that was instigated in the 1980s needs to be abandoned. People need to celebrate the great flavor and the health benefits of healthful sources of fats from plant-based sources like extra virgin olive oil, like peanut oil, even your basic vegetable oil. I mean, I don't want to be an elitist yammering on about extra virgin olive oil. I love it. I don't have kids. Their college fund goes into my olive oil budget. Ha ha ha. But you know, give people permission to enjoy food more. And part of that is through fat. Now, the story is you got to have a trade-off, right? Like you still have to be mindful about portions and calories. And the trade-off that is most beneficial is getting rid of those highly processed carbohydrates that drive inflammation and replacing them with the healthy sources of fat. Stop snacking on crap from the vending machine and get some nuts. If they have them in the vending machine, that's amazing right? So swaps like that, that are fairly easy and that you can feel better about that will do good things for your health are incredibly important. Amen. In my diet, I absolutely enjoy what I love to call high quality fats. Nuts are right up there. I'm an olive oil, avocado oil, and others that also populate my food, needless to say. And what about the delightful, phenomenal fat from fish, say, for instance. You just go right down the line. Also, fat is very satiating. You feel, hmm, that felt like, oof, I don't need that much. So to your point about portion, it's important to know that you don't need 28 diamonds. You need one, 
right? You need one that's going to do it. So that will satisfy you. Just put that rock, put a ring on your finger and be happy. You don't need 28 of them. And so that's the way I look at fat. Fat is just so precious and so delicious. You don't need a boatload to be able to feel satisfied in a big way. So that's a good thing. And again, always say to yourself, what's a high quality fat? And you're going to learn, you know, how to be able to play with that with this marvelous cookbook. And the number three principle is health promoting eating patterns never need to eliminate entire food groups. In fact, eating a broad variety of foods across all food groups promotes greater nutrient intake, which can in turn promote better health outcomes. I'm so glad you brought this up. As you know, there are a lot of diet fads out there that eliminate all carbohydrates or all fat or really minimize, you know, protein or deprioritize it. It's crazy what you need to do and all the experiments that have been done over decades and decades of nutrition research have shown that warm-blooded mammals need diversity. And if they don't have that diversity, if they don't have all three macronutrients, then ill health is the result. But apparently that memo has not been read by the American public. Instead, we, we see these fads where people think they've hacked the system. All right, go for it, Amy. A lot of this has to do with kind of fear-mongering and creating something catchy and new to catch people's attention in social media and other platforms. You know, and these eliminations of entire food groups, a lot of it's driven through misinformation that creates fear, and then people start to wonder and they become paranoid instead of trusting themselves that they can manage eating well by enjoying all foods. Now, of course, proportions matter, calories matter, right? But the only thing that Linda and I eliminated when we were writing this book is nonsense. We followed the science. We developed recipes that are delicious. The vast majority are so easy. You take a little time for your grocery shopping, a little time for prep, a little time if it has to cook or bake, and then you enjoy it mindfully, thoughtfully. But yeah, eliminating whole food groups. As a registered dietitian, I just cringe when people tell me, well, I no longer eat X or Y. And when I ask why, sometimes they don't even know. Sometimes a seed of fear has been planted in their brain, and all of a sudden they're eschewing things they used to love that made them feel better overall. So I rage against that, and I think we need a whole other show to talk about that issue, Pam. I know, seriously. And, and so you'll now officially become a repeat offender at the Herd podcast. And that means that, you know, you're promising now we're going to be doing this part two, as it were, because your book is rich. There's so much to talk about here. And we're just, you know, kind of giving teasers on some of these bigger issues. So I think that concentrating on whole foods and cooking and handling food and thinking it through so that you have a balance of macronutrients of carbohydrate, fat, and protein is really key and, and central to this message. You know, you follow it with the next principle, the fourth one. If you want to focus on limiting a single 
nutrient to promote better health, focus on limiting your sodium intake as this can reduce your risk of developing high blood pressure. According to the World Health Organization, high blood pressure is a major cause of premature death around the world. Hypertension or high blood pressure increases the risk of heart disease, kidney disease, and other diseases, and it can cause headaches, vision changes, and even anxiety. So what you really said was you said, well, instead of messing with, you know, nice, delicious, healthful, whole foods that populate protein, fat, and carbohydrate, why don't we go to other elements in the diet, in this case, sodium, which, you know, sneaks in there all the time. And so many of the boxes and cans and bags of whatever the food is out there. And people don't even read that they're taking in almost 2000 milligrams of sodium. So take us to the sodium place. So it's a critically important public health issue to look at blood pressure control around the world. And our mindfulness in terms of cooking with less salt, that's a piece of the puzzle. But to your point, looking at highly processed foods with lots of added sodium, which can include a lot of restaurant foods, you have to look at the overall pattern of the diet, how much and how often you're doing certain things. But I am not somebody who doesn't use minimally processed foods. For example, I love canned beans. They're very high in potassium. Yes, there's added sodium. The hack there, drain them and rinse them to remove up to 35% of the sodium. The other thing that we mention repeatedly throughout the book is the use of a special product This is not an advertisement. I'm simply saying this because it is so effective at helping home cooks use less salt. And that is the use of a product called Diamond Crystal Kosher Salt. It's not that it's kosher salt. It's the diamond crystal shape of this. And Diamond Crystal is the brand. This is like the cotton candy of the salt world. Very fluffy salt particles versus really tight, dense particles. If you use that salt, you are using 60% less sodium per measure because it's lighter in density and therefore less sodium. And so that's a little hack that actually is a natural hack that works like a charm. You know, when I was thinking about the canned stuff, for instance, there's some really great brands out there that have soups, for instance. And, you know, sometimes it's just, you don't have the time, whatever happens. And it's always good to have something in your pantry in case and whatever. But now I look out for low-sodium versions of the same thing because it's literally half the amount of sodium in that particular product. So now they make more and more of that, and I'm just very sensitive to that. So the joke with me is that I have no idea why. I'm just not attracted to salt. (laughs) So the last thing you'll ever get from me as I'm cooking is like, oh, my God, this is a salt lake. So I found other seasonings that really take that place. And there are a lot of brands that you and I both know that are not salt. They're just wonderful seasonings. So I've gotten really good with the seasonings so that people don't miss, you know, the the heavy salt. What do you think of that, Amy? Well, so as I was testing recipes for the book, almost 
every single recipe the first couple of months, my husband was saying, it's okay. I think it needs more salt. And then he'd crack on a little diamond crystal. Yeah. <laughs> like There has to be another answer. And so in my research, I discovered that when foods are made with ingredients that have capsaicin, things like chili peppers, that you have a higher sensitivity to the salt in the food, whether it's naturally occurring sodium or added. And so I started making dishes a little spicier. I'd use a few more of like the serrano peppers or smoked cayenne or whatnot. And all of a sudden, Scott was like, oh, this is good. Make this again. And a lot of those dishes were lower sodium than the first rounds that I was testing. That's another hack. If you or anybody you're cooking for likes food spicier, do that knowing that it improves the flavor for so many reasons, including you can use less salt and you'll taste more salt from what's already in there. Okay. You've heard another hack and I'm just loving every moment of this one. And then finally, the fifth principle, just like there's no single consummate dietary pattern, there's no single ideal food that will lead to perfect health. <gasps> Uh-oh, the superfoods. I can smell this one coming up. We'll say it again. There are no superfoods, only super eating patterns. Healthful eating patterns should be filled with a wide variety of foods. Ah, there's that diversity again from all food groups, some enjoyed in great abundance every day, like fruits and vegetables, and others enjoyed less often in smaller amounts, like alcohol and sugar-sweetened desserts. Ah, the superfoods. I mean, we have books on this. And people just say, you know, you add this and this and this and throw it all into a smoothie and your life will go on forever. So talk to us about the superfood. Yeah. You know, I think what happens from a psychological point of view is if somebody thinks that a certain food is a superfood, they gravitate towards that more often. And all of a sudden it becomes a form of restricted eating which can jeopardize your well-being. It can lead to some nutrition deficiencies if you take it to the extreme. The best thing that I've heard about, you know, adherence to a superfood eating pattern is a gentleman here in Northern California who ate so much kale, he developed some obscure condition. And like, this was a medical case study in a journal published a number of years ago. And I am a known kale hater because when I worked for the Culinary Institute of America, so many chefs wanted to do demos with kale. And I was like, nope, anybody met the K word, that's a $10,000 donation to the student scholarship fund. No more demos with kale. But in all seriousness, I mean, we want you to enjoy an abundance, a diversity of different foods and flavors. We want you to eat in a way so that you're not getting bored. You know, I have a sister-in-law who's a professional dieter and, and she just loves eating chicken breasts and serving chicken breasts and talking about chicken breasts. And I'm like, there are more healthful protein sources out there other than chicken breasts. <laughs> I mean, who knew? This is why I think one of the loudest messages from the book is diversity, is honoring all three macronutrients, is not falling into the rabbit holes of the dietary fads, and making certain, once again, that you listen to your body and what you actually need. Because, you know, as you age, you change. This is like a little, what I love to call a keen grasp of the obvious. I'm not eating the way I ate when I was 10 or 20 or 30, quite frankly. I'm not. I'm someone who is saying, well, now, what do I actually need for the level of physical activity I'm doing? 
for the hours I'm up and rocking and rolling and terrorizing the neighborhood. What do I need? And then sit down. And ideally, many times what I'll do is I'll sit down with someone like a registered dietitian, an actual registered dietitian like you. And I'll say, okay, I want to reassess. I want to regroup. I want to reset based upon new things going on in my life. And, you know, people need to continuously do that, but don't get stuck in a rut. That is a false sense of security. Ooh, I'll only eat chicken breast. It's the only thing, and it's the only thing that's ever worked for. Experiment. Be an adventurer. Actually go into the produce section and the meat and, you know, the fish section and, and just start looking at things. Also look at legumes and nuts and other places where protein is hiding and try to be able to enrich and enhance your entire dietary approach. That's why what I'm loving here is this book. And then the final piece, you know, you spoke about what you love and not to be depriving yourself of that. You said, enjoy desserts made more thoughtfully with better for you ingredients. So that is a constant rant and rave, you know, in all of my podcasts when we really talk about nutrition. You need treats in life, but the treats don't have to be mountains of ultra-processed junk. You could actually make the simplest, most delicious treats on the planet. Give us an example, Amy. So I was at a conference recently called the Berry Health Benefits Symposium. And the treats that they served throughout that amazing three-day research symposium were berries. I had never eaten so many berries in such a short period of time in so many ways that were so delicious. And it caused me to go home and for Valentine's Day make for my husband chocolate-covered strawberries. I used very high-quality dark chocolate, but I didn't do a full dip. I did a drizzle right? And so then he's eating all these strawberries. He's getting that, that dark chocolate that again, provide those beneficial phenols. And he was so happy and admitted that this was way more satisfying than like, you know, a big dense brownie out of a box or something like that. So that's just one example. The other example, I do have a brownie recipe in the book. It's called the All Heart Olive Oil Brownie. And it's made with great dark chocolate, cocoa powder, which is rich in fiber, extra virgin olive oil, coffee powder or espresso powder, whole wheat pastry flour, a little bit of honey. So it was very thoughtfully developed to create a fudgy brownie that you serve in a small amount. It's a 200 calorie brownie. And if that's something you love, make them once in a while, enjoy them in small amounts, freeze the rest or share them with other family and friends. And treat yourself well by doing this. You deserve better health. You deserve to feel good about your food choices. You put yourself first in all of this and do things that are good for you. And to end this whole thing, because honestly, I'm just, it's like mouth-watering. The minute I'm done with this, I'm like running into the kitchen. It's just the way it is. You said a final note about sustainability. Just give us your bottom line. Sustainability is one of the most complex issues that I work on in my business today, Farmer's Daughter Consulting. And it's because sustainability can be based on hundreds of metrics. When it comes to our food system, the biggest negative factor we're facing right now is food waste. Globally, 
around 40% of food is wasted. And that is on the farm, in processing, in restaurants or other food service establishments or in grocery stores, and then in our home. Our homes are the biggest source of food waste here in the United States. Being respectful about all of the natural resources and human resources that it takes to produce, process, and transport food, when we are wasting it, we are wasting those natural resources. We're not showing appreciation to farmers. We are not showing you know, respect for the natural environment. Reducing food waste is the biggest issue any home cook can work on to be a contributor to a more sustainable food system. I'm just glad you brought that up because really at the end of the day, it's time we kind of come full circle. What about composting? What do we do with all of this? Are there creative ways to be able to take, you know, orange rinds and other things and, and do things with them, but it takes a little homework. That's why I'm glad you brought it up because we need to be accountable. We absolutely just need to be accountable. And so, you know, when we have our community gardens where we're so proud to be able to give forth the harvest, you know, where does that harvest go? And at the end of the day, where does that extra food go? So that's a huge question. Read the book to be able to learn more. Amy, you have just been a fount of knowledge. I cannot thank you enough for being on the Her Podcast to share with us all things from your book, Cooking a la Heart. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Pam. I love you. And it's always a pleasure having these spirited discussions with you. I just, I literally, I'm just running into my kitchen in about five minutes. And everyone out there, okay, now I told you you're supposed to run over to iTunes right now, rate and review the show because. My team and I want to hear from you. And another huge shout out to Solaray Vitamins, solaray.com, to be able to learn more about your multiple vitamins for women. And also just look up cardiovascular health, heart health, and look at what you can potentially do to augment your wonderful diet, including the heart blend, which is an herbal blend to help boost heart health. And again, that's solaray.com. All right. Ah, this has just been such a great episode. Look, thank you so much for being here for the Herb Podcast. I'm Dr. Pam Peak. I'm the host of the Herb Podcast. Please follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peak or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peak MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes, Radio MD, oh my gosh, Spotify, just the major platforms out there. I want you to get the message, especially Amy's today. Hey, listen, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay well. <laughs>